1: Hello and welcome to episode 10 of FFS, another Brexit podcast. I'm Richard Brooks, standing in for Jason.
3: And I'm Abby Tomlinson, standing in for Amanda.
1: As usual, we're here to bring you different opinions and perspectives on the ever-changing and ever-stressful Brexit debate.
3: Indeed, and this week we'll be joined by the deputy leader of Lib Dem MEP's Louisa Porritt, who's also a councillor in Camden. Louisa was elected as an MEP for London this year after an extremely successful campaign by the Lib Dems that meant they won 27% of the London vote.
1: It'll be really interesting to get her insight on what those in Europe in particular think of Brexit after her time in Brussels.
3: And what a week this has been. This past week, the FFS team have been literally all over the place. We've hosted events in Bristol and Edinburgh, had Jason speaking at Byland Festival, Richard Woods with Labour Students in Brighton, and another of our co-founders, Amanda, is currently representing FFS in Austria.
1: Uh, Amanda is obviously a much better representative for the United Kingdom than certain other people uh, talking to European leaders on our behalf at the moment. Of course. This week, we've also had promising news following Jeremy Corbyn meeting with other opposition party MPs to try and come up with a combined effort to stop a no-deal Brexit.
3: My favourite part of this was that James cleverly said that by doing this, Corbyn was offering chaos delay and uncertainty, which is literally all we've had (laughs) from his party for the last three years.
1: I mean, the lack of self-awareness, as always, is astounding. But the headlines out of this are that all of the opposition parties have met, uh, they've agreed to stop no deal, and that's a quote-unquote legislative route is the best way forward, and it's definitely a big step in the right direction, right?
3: Obviously. And we've also had the news that Boris Johnson is expected to nominate certain prominent Brexit supporters for the House of Lords, including businessmen who bankrolled the Leave campaign.
1: That's right. The same people that perpetuated the myth about unelected bureaucrats from the European Union during the 2016 referendum are about to be very happily becoming unelected bureaucrats themselves.
3: It, it, It is a bit ridiculous. And I think it really suggests Boris Johnson's lack of respect for democracy if he can ignore elected MPs, ignore his constituents, and float this idea of shutting down Parliament whilst at the same time trying to pack an unelected chamber with his supporters
1: as always the people's vote campaign continues unabated whilst the brexit elite continue to astonish astound and annoy this week also marks two months till brexit week so it's shaping up to be a completely relaxing couple of months for everyone involved
3: i mean on the bright side at least everyone will be able to come up with a topical halloween costume for october 31st think I'm going to be the falling (laughs) (laughs) pound.
1: I I honestly, I want to get into this a little bit more. So are you going to dress up as a pound coin and then just drop to the ground?
3: I'll be so like Burn out for more Brexit, I'll just be like, I'll just lie on the floor <laughs> for the entire day of Halloween. And I'll be like, I'm the fallen pound. I'm the fallen
1: pound. I like the idea of you just like kind of on the floor at a house party and someone's like, Abby, you're right. get me a drink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the exchange rate, guys, the exchange rate. Well, I think the prospects of leaving the European Union without a deal is scary enough for me anyway.
3: But we're not anywhere near giving up yet, of course. At the end of this week, the People's Vote campaign will be in Newcastle for one of the Letters Be Heard rallies, where supporters, politicians, And activists will come together to fight for our right to be heard on Brexit.
1: And as usual, we'll have an incredible FFS activist there to represent the voices of young people across this great and fair land.
3: And if you aren't in Newcastle on Sunday, this Saturday, our co-founder Amanda Chetwin-Carrison and mobilisation officer Izzy Daly will be speaking at Big Ten Ideas Festival. There are still tickets available and it's only £15 for students. So if you've got no plans in London on Saturday, you know where you need to be.
1: It does feel like whilst the rest of the country, or at least a lot of the country, are off on holiday... The FFS are kind of just smashing it up and down the country, right? Like we have been a lot of trains know, and we we'll continue to be. I know, so
3: much stuff. It's completely insane.
1: Well, I mean, we only have weeks to stop a no deal and to deliver a people's vote. So we won't sleep until then. No. Or if we do, it will be in train carriages.
2: <laughs> Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online
1: This week we are thrilled to have with us Louisa Porritt, the Lib Dem MEP for London and the Deputy Leader of the Liberal Democrat MEPs. She was also a councillor in Camden, so we're very happy she's taken some time out of her very busy schedule to come and talk to us. Thank you very much and welcome.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Not a problem at all.
3: Uh, So first of all, Louisa, we always start by asking our guests to give someone an FFS award for something ridiculous they've done in the context of Brexit. It's always a tough competition, but who would yours go to this week? Well, I think it would have to be Ian Duncan Smith. I mean,
4: he'd probably be a contender for this prize most weeks. (laughs) Um, But his latest intervention has been to criticise the Archbishop of Canterbury today, um, saying that he's trying to destabilise Boris Johnson's position (laughs) by suggesting we should have a citizens' assembly. (laughs) I think the thing that really destabilises Boris Johnson's position is the fact he has a majority in Parliament of one, (laughs) not a citizens' assembly.
1: (laughs) That is a very good answer. I mean, it sort of is astounding on a very basic level, the amount of otherwise, I thought sort of unimpeachable people, including now the Church of England, the uh, kind of the Brexit elite will be happy and willing to attack just for daring to have a different opinion to them, right?
4: Yeah, exactly. And it's ridiculous. I mean, we're in a polarised country. There's Mm -hmm. no question about that. But that means that you've got to be open and willing to listen to the other side as well. And there's a very strong pro-European movement happening in the UK Mm. since the referendum. I think it's stronger than ever. Um, So just shutting down debate and pretending that those voices don't exist is not constructive for our democracy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And kind of on debate, so we're particularly interested, obviously you've spent a fair amount of time in Brussels over the last couple of months since your uh, election. Um, What's the mood like out there? Is is, is everyone kind of looking at all of the no-deal coverage and some of the stuff that's happening here in Being a bit like, What is going on? Like what what, what's everyone feeling over there?
4: yeah I think some of the developments over the summer in the in the last month or two in particular have really astounded um, some of my colleagues in the European Parliament from um, other member states, just particularly the kind of blustering approach that Boris Johnson has been taking. so him trying to pull all of our officials out of Brussels mm. that is not the kind of thing you do if you're serious about having a negotiation it's just childish. Mm. So I think they're quite astounded by the approach that's being taken. And it seems there's kind of uh, no limit um, to just kind of how shocking um, Boris Johnson will be and how he's handling this, including the latest thing of refusing to pay the 39 billion divorce bill, which Mm -hmm. is money that we owe other EU member states if we were to leave, which obviously I don't want to happen anyway. Um, But on a more positive note, I would say from my um, first month in July, um, there's definitely a recognition across Europe that there's also a strong pro-European voice in the UK Mm. and that that shouldn't be ignored and that actually... Um, the government's not an inherently stable one. So if we have a general election, anything can happen and that could lead to a situation where we are able to remain in the EU. Well, that's exciting. Yes.
3: (laughs) And obviously, like you and the Lib Dems talk a lot about the importance of stopping Brexit. And there has been a lot of debate about this in the press lately. But do you think the Lib Dems need to or should work with Corbyn to whatever extent uh, in order to stop Brexit? Because, say, if Corbyn becoming prime minister was the only viable way to stop Brexit, would you be on board with this?
4: So I think the first thing to say is that Joe Swinson is absolutely right, that regardless of what the Lib Dems do when it comes to who heads up if there is, um, if it comes to it, an emergency government of national unity, it's not about um, how the Lib Dems, um, whether they would support or not support Jeremy Corbyn leading that, it's the fact that there are moderate Remain-minded conservatives that have already ruled that out, and indeed some of the independent MPs like Anna Subri. So Corbyn still wouldn't have the numbers, even if the Lib Dems were to support it. So what Jo Swinson is saying is you've just got to have a realistic plan. And you know, she's she's putting her own personal ambitions to hopefully be Prime Minister aside. And saying, very happy for it to be someone who is respected across the House in recognition that this is a situation that requires cross-party working.
1: And um, so obviously today, the, the you know, the big headline for, I guess, uh, our side of the argument, as it were, in terms of those in favour of a uh, people's vote, was that a bunch of opposition leaders, including Joe Swinson, got together and agreed that there was going to be, uh, they were going to work together to stop in particular a no deal and that um, the quote unquote legislative route is the best way forward. So it feels like now that Labour are taking a bit of a step back from what was their Red line right around uh, have to be Corbyn as a caretaker prime minister, and in the case of a vonk, I'm assuming that's that's good, like that's kind of music to your ears, and that that's something certainly we were quite excited about when we saw how because it could have gone quite badly that meeting, right? But <laughs> it doesn't appear to have.
4: Yeah, it could have. I'm I'm relieved that it hasn't because obviously time is running out, and every day is critical now in this process. I think. Um, well, What we've seen from previous attempts to block no deal, for example, and um, try and avert disaster in the past is that the most successful initiatives have come from backbench MPs mm-hmm. from all sides of the house. So if um, party leaders of all parties, including my own, are willing to kind of uh, put self-interest aside um, and be open to those initiatives coming from you know wherever they do in parliament we should look at it mm. look at the, the proposals and look at them closely and do whatever we can to avert no deal
1: yeah and, and, and it, brexit yeah. obviously <laughs> <laughs> um no of course uh and and it's it feels like the the game in town look, looks similar to kind of the the oliver letwin sort of style stuff where mps would take uh control of the order paper again and then do another extension of article 50 and all uh, all, all that sort of stuff is thats that is that is that your view, obviously the kind of the Lib Dem MEP caucus, I'm going to call it, is, is not an insignificant voice in how a fair amount this is going to play out. Is that your sort of view as to the best way to do that, that with like the MP should take control of the order paper that um, at some point they legislate for a people's vote as a part of extension to article 50? Do, do you see that as the main way of doing that? Or are there other things like are you, for instance, pro revoke? Like what, what do you think is the best step forward?
4: So, Joe earlier today um, set out this triple lock mm. to avoid no deal and hopefully stop Brexit. Um, and there were various proposals that were laid out as part of that. Uh, one is the legislative route, and that was the first thing that she suggested. Secondly, is this idea of a temporary government of national unity um, that could seek to stop no deal and bring about a general election. Mm-hmm. And then the third is to be open to the idea of revoking Article 50 Mm. in the event that we are right up to the cliff edge and there are no other alternatives. Our official party policy is still to have a people's vote. Um, So one of the things that we want to see happen out of that legislative process is to try and legislate for a people's vote to happen. And that's also something that a government of national unity could could try and do. But you mentioned an extension to Article 50, and that's Mm. absolutely critical to all of this as well, in that obviously the clock is running down. We've only got until the end of October. And all of these processes might take some time, certainly to reach a clear resolution. Um, So if a new government can be put in place that will make that request for an extension to Article 50, Um, some of the work that we've been doing on the European side um, as MEPs is talking to our colleagues across Europe, people who will be influential in the negotiations to say, please be open to that extension um, because we do just need time to sort this out. And I think even the French who were quite hardline about it last time would be open to it if we have a good reason, i.e. a democratic event.
1: Yeah. So we can get an extension if there's a democratic event broadly you're hearing, but if we just want another random one just to try and sort our stuff out, that's less of an option, right?
4: Well, I think these kind of incremental extensions don't serve anyone actually, um, because that's just more uncertainty for our businesses that are trying to scenario plan. Mm. And that has a real impact on jobs and investment. Um, and it creates uncertainty for other EU member states as mm-hmm. well, and, and for for their economies. Um, so I, I don't think it's anyone in anyone's interest to just do another six months and say that's for more negotiations. And certainly, there's no appetite for um, you know a kind of rerun of the negotiation anyway. Yeah, I actually support what our European partners are saying, uh, which is we understand that the political situation is evolving in the UK and need yeah. to be open to that change. But we're not just going to kind of incrementally delay while you decide
3: what sort of Brexit you might want.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: fair enough. And in terms of like having this sort of democratic event, this people's vote, and obviously the Lib Dems ran quite a successful campaign in London where remaining in the EU has always been the majority opinion, right? But how do you work on convincing northern communities that have quite high percentage of votes for the Brexit party that they should change their minds? I think that's a really
4: difficult one. Um, I think uh, not everyone will change their minds Um, and I think it's actually more of a two-step process. I would say the priority is to stop Brexit in the first instance Um, and this is Liberal Democrat policy as well and then what we need to do is have a new government in place that is actually focused on bringing about change and introducing politics Policies that will address the real concerns that people have. You know, there has been chronic underinvestment in some of these communities and areas by successive governments over time, actually. Um, And so it's understandable that in that context, people didn't want to vote for the status quo um, because they haven't seen their lot improve. Um, So I think the answers lie much more in uh, domestic policies um, with more... More investment in health and education and uh, policing and um, you know reviving youth centres um, and addressing some of the real challenges that we're facing because actually unfortunately Brexit is just a big distraction yeah. from all of
3: those challenges. And do you think this is sort of what I often see like in the northwest communities that have particularly been devastated by austerity they tend to be the communities that have like increase votes for Brexit right and do you think the Lib Dems kind of need to take some responsibility for those years of austerity that may have caused the anger in these communities towards government and things like that or do you think it's not really anything to do with that
4: I don't think it's fair to solely blame the Lib Dems for that no like austerity Um, as
3: a whole would probably be more
4: yeah so we were only in government as a minority partner for five years and actually, austerity had also started under Labour yeah. prior to that. And Labour's spending plans involved austerity as well. There was no dissent about the fact that whatever yeah. government came to power, there was going to need to be some. We've just had a financial crisis. But clearly, austerity has gone too far too fast particularly since 2015 when the conservatives have been in power alone um and i think it's become very evident um just how harsh those cuts have been you know you mentioned that i'm a camden councillor as well you know local government is on its knees um there's very uh there are very few options available now to provide basic services and these are the sorts of decisions they're having to make you know do we um Want to invest in our schools or do we want to keep people safe? You know, these should yeah. not be mutually exclusive <laughs> yeah. options.
1: No, absolutely. And I, I'm just interested in particular, so you've talked a fair amount about kind of economic uncertainty. One of the things that I imagine is quite, um, uh, kind of something that you see or hear of quite regularly is uncertainty, in particular when it comes to EU citizens and kind of the uncertainty they've faced over the last three years here in the UK. Um, and obviously the kind of I'm going to call it an announcement, but obviously it was more of a leak in terms of what the Home Office are potentially planning in terms of that sort of transition period that was going to be originally in place to ensure EU citizens' rights being cut to kind of the day after October the 31st. What What's the but firstly what what kind of was the response in brussels if there was any to what what sounded like quite a terrifying piece of news in brussels but is there anything that you're hearing from kind of people that you represent who are even more concerned than they already are
4: mm. so do you mean the plans to end free movement or um the 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 rights of it, existing EU uh, citizens the in of the UK. EU yeah, in the UK. Um, well, <laughs> I think it's tragic that um, such a large proportion of our population—three million in the UK—is the estimate—have um, had to live with this yeah. uncertainty for three years, and it's had a real impact on people's lives and these are people who are the most affected and were never given a say in the first place in Mm. the referendum. Uh, I've even seen it as a councillor. There was a Spanish couple that lived around the corner from me um, that moved back to Madrid last summer because they said, you know, we just don't feel welcome in this country anymore and I think that's that's awful. Yeah. Yeah. And so the latest noises from the government obviously don't help, it just adds to that unwelcoming environment but that was already set in motion by Theresa May unfortunately Mm. with her hostile environment and I think even though she was supposedly a Remainer, she was still quite Eurosceptic in various ways, especially about immigration. Um, and, you know, I think we should be embracing the amazing contribution that EU citizens make to this country, not just from an economic perspective, but in terms of making our society richer and more diverse. Um, and Preeti Patel just wants to draw, pull the drawbridge up on mm. everyone. Well, it's not realistic anyway, because we actually have an economy that is dependent on immigration. And that's what's been so dishonest about the Leave campaign from the outset, is that we, we will still need immigration wherever it comes from. Yeah, of course. Um, even if they pu- succeed in pursuing this post-Brexit world, which I really hope they won't. Um, so we're doing all we can as well um, in the European Parliament, um, to try and protect EU citizens' rights should the worst happen. Mm. Uh, so one of the things we did was meet with the, uh, the group, the 3 million and British in Europe, and um, we are going to be lobbying other EU member states to unilaterally
3: guarantee EU citizens' rights, even if our government won't do the okay. same. And finally, we know that predicting politics has been pretty impossible for the last few years. But If you had to make a prediction on what you think will happen, not necessarily what you want <laughs> to happen, but what you think will happen, what would you say?
4: Well, recently... Uh... My mood has been a lot more dim. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you about that because Boris Johnson is clearly very determined Mm. to pursue Brexit at any cost. And, um, you know, I mentioned the pulling officials out of Brussels earlier. I think that's a sign that he's not serious about a deal as well. So the thing that scares me is we're in a much worse position than we were under Theresa May. Um, obviously I don't want to see Brexit in any form but no deal is so much worse yeah. right um, and at least she was looking at something that would protect EU citizens rights. So and now mm. everything is being thrown up in the air again um, so it's it's a very daunting prospect for the people's whose lives are the people whose lives will be most affected by it however there is still a window of opportunity. And yeah. the thing is, my mood changes on an almost daily basis at the moment, along with the, you know, whatever the news of the yeah, day exactly. is, basically. Um, and we're kind of right at the heart of the uncertainty uh, as MEPs as well. Um, and that there is still an opportunity to stop this, not just no deal, but Brexit altogether. And I think if Parliament can organise across different parties and put aside tribal loyalties all of us um obviously I can't affect things I'm in from mm. that perspective I'm in the European parliament not the UK parliament then we can still avert disaster and actually we can still um bring about a general election or a referendum that could lead to us remaining in the EU so I haven't given up the fight yet and um, if it comes to it, I'll still be fighting to the bitter end anyway.
1: <laughs> a clarion call of uh, protest there. Yeah. Thank you so much. And that comes to the end of our interview. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to uh, spend time with us today. We really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, Thank, thank you. you. No, not a problem at all. Um, and uh, please do continue to fight the good fight for a people's vote and to stop Brexit.
3: I yeah. will. <laughs> you can count on it.
1: <laughs> thank you very much.
3: So, once again, thank you for listening to our podcast. In a time when the debate is especially cluttered, we hope we've offered at least some clarity.
1: And join us next week, as I'm sure you'll soon be able to hear the increasing stress and strain in our voices as the Brexit deadline looms ever closer.
3: That's a nice, cheery note to end on there. <laughs> well, it's not over yet, though. <laughs> uh,
1: we are nothing if not optimists here. Please do tell your friends. Please do tell your family members. Please do share FFS, another podcast, on all of your social media channels. Indeed. Goodbye.
3: Goodbye, everyone. Bye.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy
1: by downloading the Amazon Music app for free